Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Ezekiel. The Old Testament passage of Ezekiel and Ezekiel chapter number 34. Ezekiel in chapter number 34. We're continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom and we're in a section now where we're starting to deal with the nuts and bolts, trying to get exactly how the Millennial Kingdom works, how it's set up, what the conditions are, what it's going to be like, the environment like. And as we talked last week, we talked about the different conditions. What is it going to be like? How is it going to be set up? What the, uh, the theme of it is? And now this week, we're starting to cover how does the government work? This morning, we took time to explore that Jesus Christ is the king of the millennial kingdom, that he is the ultimate ruler, that everything stands before him, and he is the judge, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. Well, Jesus Christ has also set up this millennial kingdom government to also have other people who are ruling in different capacities. With this, take your copy of the word of God and let's see what the Bible has to say in the book of Ezekiel chapter number 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 and notice with me in verse number 23. Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. It says, and I will set up one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, notice with me in verse 24 where it speaks about David. My servant David, a prince among them. My servant David, a prince among them. And with this, let's understand as we talked a little bit more about this government of the millennial kingdom, David and the regents. David and the regents. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding as we try to put this together and try to do it correctly, do it biblically, and do it in a way that we can understand what you are getting across and make an application for it. Thank you again that you've given us so much information and help us to put it together correctly. Thank you, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Guide and direct. Put things into order. And let us make a dedication to serve you because of whom you are. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, here it's giving a quick little snapshot of the millennial kingdom. It says, I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, meaning the people there in the millennial kingdom, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, 
and my servant David, a prince among them. So notice that the Lord will be God and David is going to be a prince that's among the people. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Well, the Bible also makes mention of David, this uh, person that they say David, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. So it repeats itself. Notice with me Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, and notice with me verse number 24. Ezekiel 37 and verse 24. Notice what it says in Ezekiel 37 and verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. And they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children, children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now, in here, as we're talking about the millennial kingdom, there are some that draw this conclusion. They draw the conclusion that it is Christ being spoken of in these passages instead of David. Now, this is the reasoning that they have this. That first of all, David is dead. Now, as we take the Bible and we put it in chronological order, we know that David's been dead for a while. David lived about one thousand BC. That's usually a good uh, starting place to put David. And the time of Ezekiel and <laughs> Jeremiah, which we'll hit in just a second, the time frame is approximately 586 BC, 600 to 586 BC. That means David has been dead for about 400 years. So we could agree with him that at the time of this writing of Ezekiel, David is dead. So their reasoning is that since David is dead, it cannot be dead David. It has to be replacement David, which would be Jesus Christ. They also understand that since um, Christ is the ruler of the millennial kingdom. We've covered that before, that Christ is the uh, ruler of the millennial kingdom. And the number three, there's a thought that because Christ is in the lineage of David, that the word David here is used as a placeholder to represent Christ. Now, whereas we won't argue with folks who may come to this conclusion, however, I come to a different conclusion. You could draw whatever you want. I'm giving the reasoning is. Now, I personally believe that there's a simpler solution. I believe the Bible is literal and that we try to take the Bible literally as much as possible. Now, we understand there's figurative language and we, <laughs> we can understand their reasoning and we won't argue against them. However, we do know that historical David will be there. Amen. That's part of having eternal life and being resurrected. Historical David will be there. So did God know that David was going to be there? So if God knew that David was going to be there, could he not be referring to historical David because David is going to be there? And understanding how the government is going to be set up, and we'll cover a little bit more in just a bit, that Jesus Christ is going to be the head of the government, but he's not going to rule alone. He is going to set up an administration of the millennial kingdom, which is going to include several different people. Why not have historical David? Wasn't David someone who had lots of promises upon his life? Didn't God promise David that he was going to see this Christ? Yes. Now, pause. Has David seen this Christ on this earth? 
No, not yet. That's something that's going to come up. We know that God has favored David. He has made him a special historical thing. So it is my personal belief that Jesus Christ will be the ruler of all the millennial kingdom and that David is going to rule and be specifically the regent over this promised land area. This land that God had promised them. Some people call it Palestine. And he's going to be under the authority of Christ. Why would I come to this conclusion? Well, here's a couple reasons. First of all, it is the most literal interpretation of the passage. As far as we can, it is my personal belief that we should take the Bible literally wherever possible. So when God said David, I think he meant David. That we don't have to do a replacement. We know that David alone could sit as regent without violating the prophecies concerning David's reign. Right? That God made certain promises that referred to Christ, absolutely. And David could still reign as regent without violating the promises talking about David and talking about Christ. Third, resurrected saints are to have areas of responsibility in the millennial kingdom as a reward. And since David was a man after God's own heart, isn't that a fitting reward that in the millennial kingdom that he will be set as ruler to rule (laughs) under God's auspice, under God's reign? Well, we have two passages here in Ezekiel that says David's going to reign. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Jeremiah chapter number 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. So again, we're just building a case, (laughs) not that we're trying to die on this hill. Someone believes opposite of me, that's fine. But we are talking about how is the government of the millennial kingdom going to be structured? Jesus will not rule alone. We've already said that. And that it makes sense that David is going to be regent over the Palestine area, the promised land area, that David is going to be in charge of this area, by the way, where the Hebrew people are going to be gathered together as God's promise, and that David is going to be ruler over the Hebrew people. That makes sense. Well, let's see what else the Bible has to say. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, and notice with me verse number 9. Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So it makes sense to me that God is going to raise him up, literally, and that David is going to rule and to reign, and that God will be God, he will be the king, he will be the one who's over all, and David is going to rule underneath the authority of Christ. Now this brings us to a second thought. That is we're setting up how is the government of the millennial kingdom going to work? Jesus Christ is going to be the head. That David is going to rule as a prince or as a regent and he's going to be over the authority over this Palestine under this promised land area. We also understand that New Testament saints will rule and reign under Christ. New Testament saints will rule and reign under Christ. We know that the name of God used more often for this millennial kingdom period is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now think about the name. He is the King of Kings. Doesn't that imply that there are going to be kings there? And he's going to be Lord of Lords. Does that imply that there are going to be lords there? He's the king of all the kings who will be ruling. Which again, it just makes sense that the kingdom is going to be set up 
and two divisions for proper administration. One person can only effective rule a certain amount of people by themselves effectively. And that we know that there's a principle in the Bible where God divides them up. For example, in, Mar- in the gospel record of Mark, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus Christ had people sit down in companies of hundreds and of fifties and of tens, and he trained his disciples to go and organize the efforts and sent them out to take care of the people so no one was missed and everyone was taken care of. Well, if he's teaching that principle, don't you think that principle will also apply ruling over the entire world? Would make sense to me. Notice, in fact, (laughs) what the Bible has to say in a couple different passages. Turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20 is very clearly a millennial kingdom passage. Six times in seven verses, it uses the phrase a thousand years. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Revelation 20, starting at verse number four. And I saw thrones. Notice thrones, plural. I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had neither worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part of the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What we see here is that we who has resurrected saints are going to act as two offices, priests and kings. Now we're going to have a whole message about us ruling as priests and kings and what that means uh, next week sometime. But the Bible says we're going to rule as priests and kings. Isaiah chapter 32 verse 1, I'm not going to turn there, but it says that kings shall reign in righteousness and princes rule in judgment. Once again, showing that there's a plurality, that it's not just one Jesus ruling, but he is going to set up the government into ways to properly administrate it. And he's going to have people ruling beside him. And the gospel record of Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, we're not going to turn there, but just making reference to it. The 12 disciples were told that they were going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So think about this as we're understanding the context, looking at just this um, promised land area, Jesus is going to be the ruler of the whole earth. You have David who's ruling underneath him for this specific area. Then you have the 12 disciples who are going to oversee the 12 tribes answering to David who answers to Jesus. What we're starting to see is an organization inside of the millennial kingdom for proper administration. Well, then what about us? Well, that's a good question. And with this, let's look to Jesus teaching in a parable found in the gospel record of Luke chapter 19. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 19, and this is where we're going to spend our remaining time, that we want to see that the level of responsibility we're trusted with is determined by our faithfulness now. That we know that we're going to be a part of the government that Jesus Christ is going to set up. We're going to have brand new redeemed bodies that cannot sin against God. And God in 
order to have a perfect government is going to set people with bodies that cannot sin. And he is going to place us in charge of various areas. Like the 12 disciples were divided up to rule over the 12 tribes. We also, because of the faithfulness that we showed God, or if we are faithful to God, are also going to be placed in charge of different areas in the millennial kingdom. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of Luke chapter 19. And notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 11. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19 in verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So notice we have the context of this. That Jesus Christ is heading to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And just a short time from this point here, Jesus is going to be crucified up on the cross. And so as he's preparing to go to the cross, people are starting to get excited. What's the context, by the way? Zacchaeus, the tax collector, just got saved. And man, if the most evilest man in town could get saved, man, God could save anybody. And so now that they saw the most evilest man in town, the most wicked person, the most crooked person, the thieviest person gets saved and all of a sudden have an immediate change and is giving away his money. They are thinking, whoop, Jesus must be starting his kingdom now. Jesus, is this the time? Are you going to Jerusalem to set up your kingdom? And so Jesus, because they are expecting and they're now looking forward to the millennial kingdom, they don't know it's the millennial kingdom. They're looking forward to God's promised kingdom. Jesus says, this is a good time to teach you something about this kingdom. So notice with me as now Jesus now is teaching this. They have in mind the kingdom Jesus is going to establish here on this earth. Notice as Jesus begins to tell this parable to teach them and instruct them. Notice verse 12. He, that's Jesus, said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Pause. Now we understand this is talking about Jesus. That Jesus went to a far country. You can't get any further from earth than heaven. He went to a far country to receive his kingdom. And when he comes back, he is going to rule over this earth. We know that's what's going to happen. And this is what the parable is making reference to. Verse 13. And he, that's Jesus, this nobleman, called his ten servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said to them, occupy till I come. So here in this parable, Jesus or this nobleman grabs 10 servants. All right, boys, I'm going to go and receive my country. I'm going to come back with the title deed and I'm going to come back and rule and reign. While I'm gone, you have the orders to occupy till I come. And then notice what he did. He said, <coughs> he gave them 10 pounds. Now a pound is a coin that weighs 15 ounces. It would be worth today about $18.50. So he placed 10 servants in charge with $18.50. Now notice, that's not a lot to be faithful with. 
Think about this. He went away, gave him $18.50 and said, I want you to use this wisely. And when I get back, we'll see how you did. The word occupy means to work and to labor. What did he want his servants to do? To work. To use this money. I give you $18.50. I want you to use it wisely and I want you to work. I'm going to be back. I got to go. I'm going to come back and I'm going to see how you did. We can understand that. Pretty clear so far. But notice there's a little hiccup here. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him. And sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. Now, that's clearly the world we live in. Jesus went away. He's preparing to come back. Meanwhile, the people of this earth hate Jesus. If you don't believe it, turn on YouTube. Turn on CNN. Go listen to all the goofballs. Turn on television. They all hate Jesus. And we're left in a world that hates Jesus with $18.50 with orders to work. To make the use of it. To be wise about what God has given us to do. All right? To work. To labor. Knowing that the king is going to come back and they are going to give account to the king of what they did with what they had. Notice as it goes on in verse number 15. And it came to pass that when he, the nobleman, Jesus, was returned, having received the kingdom. All right, so when is this? When Jesus Christ comes back to the millennial kingdom. He now is ruling and reigning, and now he's given account. Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he hath given money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, by working. What did you do with the finances that I gave you? Did you use it to help the kingdom? Did you use it wisely? Did you invest it? Did you labor into it? Let's see how you did. So he calls the first guy. Hey, you had $18.15. What did you do? How did you do when you worked and you used your things wisely? Verse 16. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound has gained 10 pounds. So think about this. The first guy had $18.50. And he turned it to $185. Ten times he did good. He used it wisely, applied biblical principles, and he used that time wisely. Notice what happened. Verse 17, and he, Jesus, the nobleman, said to him, the servant, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little. By the way, $18.50 is not a lot. Because you were faithful in the little amount that he have. Now, think about this. God hasn't given us a lot. He just says, I want you to be faithful in what I've given you to do. I haven't given you a big assignment. I didn't go say take over kingdoms. I didn't say go slay dragons. I didn't say go destroy mountains. I said, be faithful with what I've given you. Be wise about it. I haven't given you a lot. Can you be faithful with just a little bit? The guy was faithful with a little bit that God had given to him. And now, because he was faithful to it, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because thou hast been faithful in very little, thou hast have authority, notice this, over ten cities. Now again, I'm a Bible literalist. I understand this is a parable. 
But we know that there's a millennial kingdom. And we know that there's going to be cities there. Is it a tall stretch to think about that because we were faithful here on this earth and proved to be faithful in very little that God says, I now trust you in the millennial kingdom with your perfect body. I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. You're going to be in charge of those 10 cities to help administrate in the millennial kingdom. Now think about that. What we do here now does matter. God is now putting us in a job application to see if he wants to put us in a position in his government. Now, let's pause and let me hit this unfairness. There are some people that have in mind that the millennial kingdom is going to be a fair system that when we get to the millennial kingdom, we're all going to be equal. We're all going to have fair. Everything's going to be happy. We're going to sit on harps or on clouds with diapers and harps and halos and whatnot. They have a wrong vision. Now we understand in the eternity future in heaven, things will be more equal. But the millennial kingdom is not heaven. It's on this earth. And Jesus is going to be the king over this earth. And he is looking for people he can trust to be part of his government. It's his kingdom. If you can't be trusted, why should he make you part of the government? Why should he trust you? Now, doesn't that make sense? If I'm a CEO of a company, just because you're a good person, does that mean that I have to hire you? No. If I don't think that you're a good fit, I don't have to hire you. It doesn't matter what the liberals say. Jesus is going to be the king of this. He is looking now of who he wants to put in charge. It's his government, his kingdom, his earth. He can do whatever he wants. So he says, what I want you to do is be faithful in what I've given to you. And if you're faithful a little, I'm going to give you responsibilities because I could trust you to be faithful in the little. By the way, that's how we're faithful. If you're not faithful in the little things, you'll never be faithful in the big things. Can you be trusted? You know, there are little things that we're to be faithful to, reading our Bible. Listen, if you won't read your Bible, God's not going to put you in charge of nothing. Is reading your Bible a big thing? No. If you won't read your Bible faithfully, and I'm not talking about a verse a day or a chapter a day. I mean, reading your Bible, seeking for God and looking for him. If you won't do that, he will not put you in charge of anything. If you can't bother to show up to his house on a regular basis, unless you're providentially hindered, why should he trust you to be part of the government? If I have a guy who shows up to work every now and again, am I going to put him in charge of the whole company? No. Does that make sense? We could use logic on this. Jesus is trying to see, are we going to be faithful in what he's given us to do? To be honest, the Christian life is fairly easy. Read our Bible, pray, go to church, be faithful to give, and to tell people about Jesus when we have the opportunity. That's it. Now we know that there's more we could add to it, but that's, that's the basics. And if you won't do those five things, he will not put you in charge of anything. But that's not fair. So what? It's his government. He can do whatever he wants. This is the job application. These are the qualifications to hold the job. Now, 
Does that make sense? It's his government. He can do whatever he wants. Let's read on. And the second came. So he had ten servants, so a second came. Saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Well, this guy's pretty faithful. Notice what he says here. And likewise, he say, be over five cities. Now notice, this man wasn't called good or faithful. Notice what the word says. The first guy was good and faithful. This guy was not called good and faithful. You know what we still see? We have a generous God. Now think about God gave the guy, first guy, $18 or $18.50, $18. He was faithful with it and turned it to $180. He worked hard. That's the idea that he worked hard at it. Because he worked hard at it, he was called good and he was called faithful. And God gave him 10 cities. Is 10 cities more than $18.50? He was. Now, isn't that a generous God? That instead of having $180, he gave him 10 cities. That's pretty amazing. That's a generous God. Never forget that we have a generous God. Remember before people are saying, that's not fair. No, we have a very generous God. More than generous Here is a guy that was not called good or faithful, meaning it has the implication that he worked, but he didn't work as hard as he could. So he wasn't totally faithful, but he did some. He he wasn't, you know, a good servant, but he was a servant, did something. And notice, God gave him five cities. Now, isn't that a generous God? Someone who, I should have done better. But God says, I still want you to be a part of it. You did try. You did some. So here's five cities. That's a generous God. That's what we would put an emphasis on. A very generous God. He says, likewise to him, be thou over five cities. And another came to him and said, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have laid up in a napkin. So here's a guy who took what God gave him, $18.50, and he put it in a napkin, kind of tied it up. He was so lazy that he couldn't even get a shovel and bury it. Now, it implies here, especially with the culture of that time, that if I was put you in charge of money, if you lose it, you're responsible for it. Here's a guy who tied up in a napkin, didn't even bury it so he wouldn't lose it. He just set it up on the shelf. Now, how many of you ever set something on shelf like keys or something and end up losing it? This is a very careless man. Eh, okay. I don't care. No big deal. God's given me some things to do and I'm just going to set it up on the shelf. And when God came back, he went to go look for it. I wonder where that napkin is. I wonder, oh, I got to go find this thing. Oh, look, I found it. I found it. You gave me $18.50. Here it is. I mean, he was careless. He could have easily lost it. He didn't do anything with it. He was too lazy to do anything with it. So when the servant was confronted, notice what he did. And another came and said, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I've kept laid up for a napkin. Notice this, for I feared thee because thou art an austere man. That word austere carries the idea of hard or serious, strict. Now, isn't Jesus a strict God doesn't he demand and expect certain things. He's not a softy. Thou hast laid up what thou uh, layest not down and reapest what thou did not 
so. Notice this. In verse 21, the man blamed God for him not doing it. Doesn't that sound like what people do? God, it's too much to make me read my Bible. You're not right. Have you ever heard someone blame God of why they didn't read their Bible? I have. God, it's too much for you to want me to come to church three times a week. That's just unreasonable. I've heard people say that. People will blame God for why they can't be faithful to God. It's too much for you to pray. To pray. It just takes too much time. People, this guy had the audacity to blame the master of why he couldn't be faithful. It's always someone else's fault. We, always, we all know people like that. It's always someone else's fault. Here is someone who's not faithful. He was careless. He was lazy. And then turned around and blamed God. Now, let's imagine that you're God. All right? You're not. And aren't you glad? Because this story would have a lot different ending. Amen. So, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back. And I'm trusting you to be faithful. Come, I couldn't be faithful because you weren't right. Every single one of us, or maybe you're more spiritual than I, lightning would be in his future. Yeah. A nice little crater. Right? Yeah. I meant, I expected you to do something. I gave you plenty of time. I didn't ask you to do a lot. And you couldn't even do that. Now you're saying it's my fault? I mean, this guy is lucky to be breathing. By the way, we're lucky to be breathing too. As many times as we failed God and let God down. We have a generous God. That's what we see again even in this. We have a very generous God. Well, the guy accused his master for being too hard. So he says, all right, you want me to be hard? Here we go. He says, verse 22, And he, the nobleman, saith to him, the bad servant, Out of thine own mouth... Will I judge thee, thou wicked servant? Thy wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an astore man, taking up that I laid down, and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore, then givest not thy money into the bank, that at, le- at my coming I might require mine own with usury? The word usury is interest. He says, listen, you were too lazy to even put it in the bank that I could at least got interest. You know, there are some people... That maybe they don't read their Bible, maybe they don't pray, but they could at least give to the church and let God do something with that money. Well, some people won't even do that. You wouldn't do all of this, so what did God do? What did the master do? Notice with me in verse 24. And he said to them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that had 10 pounds. And notice what they all say. And they all said to him, Lord... They, but he had 10 pounds. It's not fair. Who cares? It's not about fairness. It's about faithfulness. Listen, I couldn't trust this guy. He was lazy. He was careless. He was wicked. He was disobedient. No, I'm not going to trust him. I'm going to give it to someone I will trust. You know what this kind of implies? God wants to use every single one of us for the millennial kingdom. But based off of our faithfulness, there are some of us who may not be ruling at all. 
we may not be part of this government. We're there at the millennial kingdom, but God couldn't trust us. I sometimes say this, there's going to be a lot of street sweepers in the millennial kingdom. That's all God could trust them to do. Couldn't trust you to read your Bible. Couldn't trust you to witness. Couldn't trust you to be obedient. So that's what I could trust you to do, sweet sweepers. In the millennial kingdom, we have such a privilege to rule and reign with Christ. But many people won't because they can't be trusted. But yet those cities still need to be administrated, correct? So God says, I'm going to put someone else in charge that is faithful and I'm going to let them rule and reign. Everyone has the opportunity. You want to talk about equality, every single one of us can be faithful to God with what he has given us. He's not asking much. Can you be faithful to what God's given to you? But there are some people that refuse to be obedient. God's going to give it to someone that he can trust during the millennial kingdom. Notice what happens. Verse 27, 26. By the way, verse 25, all those people are all looking at what happened to the man and they've all neglected God's generosity. Hasn't God been very generous to everyone? And yet they are all looking at what's not fair and what's not right. And they miss this, that God was still being very generous. Verse 26, for I say unto you that everyone which hath shall be given and from him that hath not it shall be taken away from him. By the way, we understand this. The Bible makes reference to this that we receive rewards or loss of rewards. Didn't the man who was unfaithful, didn't he lose rewards? He could have had rewards and he lost those rewards because he refused to be faithful. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay before me. Now we understand that this is going to be a consequence that occurs and that all those that didn't accept Christ, they're going to be taken away and the millennial kingdom is going to start with no lost people. It's only going to be saved people and we're going to build up from there. The work that we are to do is to occupy till we come. What is this work? Remember, we're in a country where the citizens hate God. What is our work? We are to be working and investing to try to work with those citizens to show them that their master is a good master and get them to the place where they want to serve him instead of hate him. What is the work we're supposed to do? We're preparing this kingdom for the king. We're preparing more citizens to be obedient, to work. That is our job. Our job is to tell the world about the kingdom to come. Our job is to help prepare for his coming because he is coming. That is what we're to occupy to do. That's why we go to church. We don't go to churches to hear great messages. We go to church to be prepared to go and do the work, which is outside of these four walls, to go tell more people about Christ. Why do we give to the church? Because pastor needs money? No. What we do with the money is we turn around and use it to try to reach more people. Why do we read our Bible? So that way God can prepare us and teach us and guide us so we could be the servants we ought to do. Why do we pray? Because we recognize we can't do it ourselves. We have to have his power and we have to be dependent upon him. All of it's all about God and God reaching this world. So what part are you having in this? What part are you doing right now? If you were to line yourself against those three servants... 
You have the good and faithful one who is obedient. God's given me to do. I'm taking my job seriously and I'm working at it. Do you have the second one who God didn't say good and he didn't call, call him faithful, but he did something. He may not have done his best, but he did something. Or the third servant who was careless about the things the master has given to him. He set it aside. No big deal. I'll worry about it later. He was lazy and he was careless. He was foolish. He made it to the kingdom. He was a servant. It's not a good servant. And he was set aside for a thousand years. Not being able to be involved with what God was doing in that world. You understand a thousand years is a long time. And the greatest honor we will have in the millennial kingdom is to rule and reign with him. How do we get this position? By being faithful to God now. We are in a lifelong job application to see if he can trust us in his upcoming kingdom. Which now brings us to tonight. Tonight as we observe the Lord's Supper, we now reflect on our faithfulness. We know it's not just about us. It's about Jesus. What kind of servant are we? Are we the good and faithful servant? Could we do better? Or perhaps you've been careless and lazy about the work that God's given you to do. Now, the good thing is, is God has given us a warning. It's not the end. As long as you still have life, there's time to change. You could start from where you are and move forward. But it starts with a decision. What do you have to change in your life to be a good and faithful servant? What needs to be adjusted? I mean, are you really invested in this or is this something you play at? Is this something that you're serious about? Or is it something, eh? You understand there is a reality that Jesus is coming. The millennial kingdom isn't theory, it's true. God will keep his word and he will rule and reign. This isn't a playtime. This is a time that God has given us the opportunity to work and be faithful to him now. How is your faithfulness? How is your seriousness? If God was to call you home right now to stand before judgment, what classification would you have? Good and faithful? Glad you did something? Or wicked servant who couldn't be trusted with anything? Let's start from where we are and move forward. As we now going to take and observe the Lord's Supper, we need to take a time to examine our own selves. As we're talking about in our Sunday school class of Ecclesiastes, here is a king who took an honest look at himself. Are you willing to be honest with God? I mean, we all like to blow ourselves out of proportion and think that we're greater than what we truly are. Are you faithful? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities God has given to you? Do you understand that there's a world that's dying and going to hell that doesn't have to? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.